I V M. Welcome to All Things Policy, a daily podcast supported by Pragati, a flagship media initiative of the Takshashila Institution. We're a bunch of policy nerds based in Bengaluru, and we like to bring a fresh perspective to Indian affairs and an Indian perspective to global affairs. So grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and join us for today's chat. Welcome to today's episode. Today we're going to discuss how India is at the cusp of two significant transformations: one economic and the other green. Joining me today are Shridhar Krishna and Sudeesh Mishra to talk more about this issue. Before we start, Shridhar and Sudeesh, something interesting that I found was India will soon be the most populous country in the world and will be home to one of the youngest populations. Of course, a rapid and equitable economic growth is needed to meet the growth and lifestyle aspirations of 1.4 billion people. But what's interesting is that we have to do this in a sustainable manner. India today is already at the feeling the brunt of climate change. Twenty-two of thirty most polluted cities and potentially populated too are in India. We had a recent WHO report which talks about how India may account for thirty-four million of the projected eighty million global job losses from heat stress. And in twenty nineteen, India was already the seventh most affected country due to climate change. So all in all, it seems like the time to act is now. I'd love to hear, Shridhar, from you how you see this opportunity in India to actually create green jobs and whether it could mean something more. Yeah, you know, thanks a lot, Anu, and hello, Sudeesha. And you know, I was at a, at a conference last week, and the overarching theme was that India wants to become a developed nation by 2047. We need to grow at over 10 percent per annum in order to make this. A reality, even a seven to eight percent growth, may be inadequate to get to those kind of uh, big goals that we've got, we've set for ourselves. And it comes at a very difficult time because it means it it has to be done. And in India, has a unique challenge now. How do you grow this economy at this kind of pace and still meet climate change commitments? I mean, like you know, carbon emission commitments. India has made big commitments at COP twenty seven about going net zero by twenty seventy. We've talked about like we have stage wise goals at different points. We talk about what we need to do by twenty thirty and so on. And all all this is going to cost a lot of money and going to be hard. No other country has this problem of wanting to grow at this kind of pace and still meet big climate goals. So. Yeah, I think it's a very interesting time. It is a huge challenge, but I think what I do want to talk about at some point is about how this is actually a big opportunity, right? And I think that's where I want to take this conversation. So, Disha, do you have thoughts on how green jobs are going to change India significantly, and is is that an opportunity in your view as well? Yeah, I think that it's very important for us to pursue that idea. even though we know that we have a population economic growth challenge in the country especially when it comes to rural areas where unemployment is extremely high i think green jobs can play a very important role you know we can simultaneously create more equitable jobs in in the rural area and we discussed this previously in our podcast in nandrega right where shridhar mentioned that a lot of the work which was done in rural areas through manrega was actually for climate change right building more canals working on solar farms for example all a lot of these jobs are done by banrega people in the rural areas so in a way 
definitely we can achieve some sustainability goals while achieving economic growth at the same time so according to me definitely there's an area of opportunity i love yeah, that I mean, in fact No, no, I was just going to add to that in saying like, you know, if you look at the transportation sector, for example, I mean, it's a significant contributor to carbon emissions in India, but maybe contributing about 14% of India's carbon emissions and expected to increase in the coming years as the economy continues to grow. But then it also means that like, you know, there's a huge opportunity in, in the manufacture of electric vehicles, charging infrastructure and many other you could look at them as big challenges or you could look at them as opportunities to generate jobs as well right i think the government has planned to invest in the development of electric vehicle charging infrastructure as well as in the production of electric buses and other vehicles so i think so the government is trying to promote public transport all these things could also lead to new jobs yeah yeah in fact to sudeesh's earlier point around 13% of jobs are actually expected to come in rural areas through green jobs um and the government has an aggressive target to actually generate 50 million green jobs by 2070 matching their cop 27 targets of 2070 and to your point shridhar one of the biggest areas that is expected to generate these jobs is electric vehicles the other area that i actually thought was interesting was also the idea of green cities or green infrastructure especially with the entire smart cities program um coming into play now that's potentially another area that could be meaningful for the government to look into and then of course we've all heard about the solar energy transformation right in fact there's a ton temple in gujarat in the village of mandera i think which is entirely powered by solar energy so that's an interesting that's very fitting uh, that's very fitting very fitting it? indeed yeah. exactly But yeah, I'd just love to understand, Jeevan, before we get into the specifics, you had a point on how this could be an opportunity to leap from an economic perspective as well. Would you want to go deeper? Yeah, I mean, in fact, I went to, I mean, you must have all heard of ChatGPT, right? So it's it's been AI bot that engages in a conversation mode and it's become very popular, launched like, you know, very recently, had more than a million users almost immediately and i asked this question to chat gpt i asked can india become a world leader in green technology and here's what it says it says india has already taken steps to become a global leader in green technology through a number of national policies some examples include the national solar mission which aims to increase the use of solar power in the country and the national electric mobility mission plan which aims to increase the adoption of electric vehicles Other policies that could help India become a global leader in green technology include increasing funding for research and development in the renewable energy sector, implementing stricter regulations on greenhouse gas emissions, and promoting public-private partnerships to accelerate the development and deployment of clean technologies. Additionally, providing incentives for individuals and businesses to adopt green technology and supporting the growth of the country's renewable energy industry. through targeted investments and supportive policies can also help india achieve its goals in this area so this is what chat gpt has to say i think it's a nice answer i think it does talk about a few things which are important and it gives you a general direction in which you have to go in order to achieve this but i wanted to take a different approach to this whole thing way back when i was in b school we we studied michael porter a lot and michael porter wrote a great piece for harvard business review in 1990 where he comes up with a framework for competitive advantage of nations he says a nation's competitiveness depends on its capacity of its industry to innovate and upgrade 
companies gain advantage against the world's best competitors because of pressure and challenge. They benefit from having strong domestic rivals, aggressive home-based suppliers, and demanding local customers. And that's really what I want to sort of evaluate when we talk about this framework and say whether Porter's diamond model, when I look at it and I assess the factors that contribute to the competitiveness of a nation in a specific industry, in this case, green industry, I want to check whether these factor conditions, demand conditions, related in supporting industries and firm strategy, structure, and rivalry are sort of aligned in a way that India can become competitive in green. So when I let's take the first one, like factor conditions, right? They, these refer to the availability and the quality of the factors of production, such as labor, capital, and natural resources. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that, like, you know, where you have lots of people, you will do well, or that if you have large amounts of natural resources, you do well. I mean, India is not necessarily a great leader in steel compared to many other countries. I mean, just because we have, like, you know, we had the largest reserves of iron ore. The idea is, like, how well do you have the ability to create factor conditions? I think that's the critical thing. So can you go out and create the skilled workforce that's required to work in green energy? I think there's a huge shortage of people in this space at the moment. But if we are determined to build this capability, the government and companies working in this space will have to come together very quickly, almost immediately, and, like, you know, set up and make investments in building infrastructure that can train people in the space. So that's going to be absolutely critical. If you don't have enough skilled people, for you're not going to find... It's going to be an oft-repeated problem where we talk about the world ILO says that there may be 29 million jobs this decade which will go unfilled because we just don't have the skills to fill them. So I think that's an important one. The second thing we talked about and factors is private capital. It is looking to back climate change-related technology too. According to a business standard article I was written in September 22, about $27 billion of investments went globally went in the first half of this year, went towards climate change, I mean, green tech, and about $2 billion went to Indian firms. It's impressive, but it's inadequate, right? I mean, if you want to become the world leader in this space, we need to have like, you know, $2 billion is hardly enough. And you need like much more capital driving. Many of the regular global venture capitalists are missing from the picture when it comes to investments in India in this space. So billions more are needed. And hopefully that should happen. But tightening financial conditions at this moment are not helping. Right? That's something that has to be done. And the, but the biggest challenge investors have to face is about its dysfunctional politics, creaking infrastructure and red tape. Once we do that, that's more systemic. If we do that, we can get a lot of investment into the space, right? So when you talk about the demand conditions, referring to the level of the, I think in terms of demand conditions, India has got a lot. There's a significant and growing demand for green energy in India. India has stated plans of becoming a developed country, like I mentioned before, and had made sterling commitments to get to net zero by 2070. So no other country has such a GDP growth ambitions combined with zero commitments. So there is no dearth of domestic demand. And I think that's going to be our biggest driver of competitiveness in the space. The next one is about relative and supporting industries, which are needed in order to build the capability of a green technology. What are all the industries that are needed? People who make the raw material to build batteries or 
building and all that and the steel that's required to make a wind farm or whatever all these things are needed and like you know so piyush goel in his address to his recent cii conference which is about on this topic making india a global manufacturing hub in renewable energy manufacturing he says that there is a need to maintain the entire renewable energy supply chain in india to the best of our ability right from the equipment stage up to innovation and new technology so that the country can lead he says it's a great time to protect and nurture this industry and so on and all that but he admits that india has been dependent on imports of machinery and equipment in both this area so we do have the right ambitions but there's a difference between a dream and reality i think we have a long way to go here we will get experts to speak to us more in detail about this in future podcasts but i think at least the ambitions are right but we need to do more finally when you talk about firm structure and rivalry it talks about like you know do you have enough people enough companies in india fighting for this space fighting for market share and therefore forcing companies to become more innovative and build better and more efficient products so inc 42 for instance has compiled a list of 34 clean tech startups which have come up with out of the box solutions to contribute to india's and en- clean energy goal from startups dealing with rooftop solar energy and those focusing on biomethanation technology to solve the organic waste management and also to providing solutions to clean and purify air and water the list is all these companies but i think that there has to be many more companies which have to get into the space and as the demand grows and we find our ability to hire the right people to fill those kind of roles i think we can do this i believe that india has the ability to build a competitive advantage in green technology it is a unique opportunity for us we can flip this huge challenge into a big opportunity but we need to get our act together and do this but i'll leave you with one note on this that is ultimately nations succeed in particular industries because their home environment is most forward looking dynamic and challenging so if the government continues to be looking at green as the way to go and if like gujarat is any example is any predictor of what other states in india are also going to do with respect to green tech i think then there's a lot you can look forward to in india's journey towards leadership in green technology yeah thanks shida you've left us with a lot of thoughts but we'll be right back after a quick break Welcome back. I think Sheila as you were speaking about competitive advantage the one thing that kept going off in my head is the opportunity seems to be especially in renewable energy and solar specifically right because everything that you mentioned almost seems like it's progressing in the right direction with that today India gets about 70% of its electricity from burning coal of course but 7% of our electricity generation is already coming from solar EY has ranked India as the most attractive destination for photovoltaic cell investments and like I said this village in Gujarat which is called Modera actually is the first solar powered 24/7 run village in all of India so much so that villagers no longer have to pay electricity bills they're actually getting negative electricity bills which means they're making money from solar right and then of course you have small startups like Kuku Solar come up 
that have now started to install small scale solar projects on residential rooftops in Mumbai, and they've actually started manufacturing panels locally through uh, in India. Though I think the one contingency, of course, is the fact that silicon still comes from China. So there is an external dependency that we have, which needs to move, right? But given that India also has the conditions, we receive about 3,000 long hours of sunshine in a year. It seems like a big opportunity for us to be able to make this a competitive advantage, right? Of course, we're not the experts and we're going to learn more about this. But as you were speaking, I, I realized that this might be the big one where we can leapfrog the opportunity itself. Yeah, Absolutely, Anu. I think like, you know, solar is a big one. But I think we shouldn't forget that when we talk about green, it's not just about the emissions that happen while you're generating power or when you're using it. It's also about the total carbon cost, right? From the whole life cycle cost in terms of emissions. I mean, batteries don't get made without using, without having carbon emissions, nor do disposal of these batteries pick up. I mean, even that is a big issue. So I think there are many problems to be solved in that space, but definitely I think the factor conditions and others that Porter is talking about in his diamond framework do fit very well for solar more than anything else. I agree. Yeah. And that's a very good point, actually, is that none of this is in isolation. And if we have to look at a holistic perspective of what a green uh, environment could look like or an environmentally friendly infrastructure could look like, I think cities are a good example. We've been talking about cities quite a bit as part of our 20 million jobs project. And I know, Sudisha, you did a little bit of work on thinking about what a green city uh, could look like. So do you want to tell us more about it? Yeah, so I think it's just best if we get into specifics. So. Of course, we can talk about some of the cities in Europe because they are great examples of sustainable cities. But I think for a country in Asia, it's not really the best place to pick for comparison. So I think I would like to talk specifically about Singapore. It's one of the most densely populated countries in the world. Its population in 2021 was around 55 lakh, much less than India, but still significant. In the Arcadia Sustainable Cities Index, Singapore ranks 35th in the world, but it ranks 5th globally. And this was not always the case. In 19, around, you know, around 1916, it was a country which can be characterized by muddy rivers, polluted canals, and it had an uncontrollable flow of wastewater. And that's when PM Lee Kwan realized that this needs to change. We know that Singapore has to grow and we have a huge opportunity also. But it has to develop in accordance with our environmental conservation also. So he launched policies for cleaning up the city's open drains and reconstructing water bodies while preserving the environment. And that's the result we see now in Singapore, that despite being so densely populated and having a past where it was developing and it had its own environmental issues, it's in a great state right now when it comes to sustainability and green jobs. Now, here are some few examples on how they maintain this green ecosystem uh, in Singapore. So one is that they lack natural resources, right? It's essentially just an island. So one of their policies is to use the resources very efficiently, which means that, you know, my day job is in water for NSF. So... 
one of the things that we constantly talk about is just how much Singapore is investing in desalination. And and the reason for that is they want to use whatever water they have very efficiently, which we don't in India, for example. Right? Having biodiversity is considered a mandatory feature in Singapore. If you build a building, you're supposed to invest a significant portion of the building, ensuring that biodiversity thrives there. So this can be vertical gardens, this can be, I don't know, garden like by the side of the buildings where some you know, some plants can grow or whatever, right? So this is a mandatory feature in Singapore. The country introduced Clean Air Act in 1971 and they set up an environmental ministry in 1973. And this ministry has been responsible for the green development in Singapore. Now, this is an interesting number. The number of trees in Singapore raised from 158,000 to 1.4 million in a span of 50 years. And all of this happened because of their green revolution. And I think the most interesting bit that's happening right now in Singapore is Green Building Initiative. It's called the Green Mark Scheme, and it came in 2005. So a few features about this is that Singapore is trying to adopt the idea of biophilic design, which means that people should always be connected with their natural environment. And this can only be accomplished through combining architectural designs with greenery, which means that since 2008, Singapore has made green buildings mandatory. If you're building any building in the city, you need to make sure that it's green, right? There are a few compliance laws come there and you know people who are building those buildings are uh, expected to comply with that. And that's when Singapore Green Plan 2030 comes, where they have a target which is called 80-80-80 by 2030. The first target is to green 80% of the existing buildings. Of course, there are buildings which are old, which are not green. So I think the first target is to convert those buildings into green. The second is to accomplish 80% of new developments to be super low energy buildings from 2030. And the third one is to ensure that best-in-class buildings will be energy efficient over the next 50 years. So this is a great target, right? They're trying to kind of inculcate the standard or the practice of just living in a green environment. And they've tried to do it, you know, they've tried to do this through educational means also. They've introduced sustainability as a subject in school, for example. So they are trying to bring up children also with that kind of knowledge. And it's not that they are lagging behind while they are doing all this. Uh, you know, green hiding in Singapore has increased by 15% in 2021 from 2016. And Singapore's female labor force participation is more than 50%. So I think when it comes to jobs in labor markets also, Singapore is doing great. So this can show that even densely populated areas like Singapore, and that's an example for India also, we can also do great. We can work in tandem when it comes to sustainability and creating more jobs. Yeah, that's so super interesting. In fact, it just makes the case for everything to come together, right? Including education on sustainability. I love that point. I think, yeah, I was just reading up and when you were talking about green buildings, I used to live in Hyderabad and the Rajiv Gandhi Airport actually, International Airport in Hyderabad, I think is one of the most environmentally sensitive designs and is supposed to be a very green airport and in fact has uh, won the LEED Silver Rating Certification and it's the first airport in Asia that has actually done that. 
So we're starting to see some examples. State governments are also starting to back up green buildings by having additional subsidies or tax breaks. I was reading governments of Punjab, Rajasthan, Bengal, Uttar Pradesh, Andhra, Maharashtra, Gujarat and Tamil Nadu all have some version of incentivizing green buildings. So while we're starting to make progress, I think, of course, we have a really long way to go, but we, we can learn from the example of Singapore, as you very beautifully put, Sudesha. I realize, though, of course, that there is more to be talked about when we talk about green energy and greenhouse gas emissions in India. Agriculture is a sector that cannot be ignored, of course, and that's something that we potentially have to think about employs more than 50% of the country today, and it needs to move to a sustainable future, not just from the perspective of reducing emissions, but also from the perspective of food security and scarcity as we start to feel the effects of climate change more. But what I'm starting to learn or take away from this podcast is that green jobs are essentially going to be an opportunity for us to be able to leapfrog the rest of the world and be able to create development that is sustainable and also reduces impact on the people that are living in the environment in India, right? So I'll leave everyone with one fact, which is that renewable jobs or green jobs are expected to generate more than 3.3 lakh jobs in the next few years. And this segment has seen already a five-fold increase in the workforce in the last six years. So I think we're on track and there's no going back anymore. Any parting thoughts, Sudisha or Sridhar? No, I think we've covered everything that there is to cover. It's a simple takeaway that we need to work towards sustainability while also ensuring economic growth. Uh, Both need to go hand in hand. Yeah. You know, one thing that I want to sort of talk about is that while the impact of climate change has been unequal, I think somebody also mentioned this at the conference that I was at recently. While the impact, the impact on all of, but there is going to be impact on every single person on the planet because of climate change. So we need to, we can't keep, India for many years has been saying that the West caused this problem and they need to fix it and we need to grow. We are a poor country, we need to grow. And you can't hold us to very high standards on greenhouse gas emissions, etc., and ask us to cut down. Our per capita consumption is low, nothing compared to many of the countries in the West, and therefore we don't need to do much in this space. Anything that needs to be done, you guys do. If you want us to do something, pay us for it. That was a sort of general approach towards going green, but I think that's changed quite dramatically with a recognition that going green is important. It is not something that we can wait for other people to do or whatever, and then just take cover in the fact that we don't consume too much. I think we have to look at, I want to look at this challenge as a huge opportunity for India to become a leader in green technology. It's something that we can do and we should do. So selective disadvantages in certain factors can produce, can prod companies and the whole industry to innovate and upgrade. And I think this is really what we need to focus on and become leaders. That's my thought. Awesome. Thank you for joining us today, everyone. Then every job can be green. Remember that. And we look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Thank you. Thank you. If you liked our show, don't forget to check out other interesting podcasts on the IVM network. You can tune into them on the IVM podcast app, ivmpodcast.com, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also follow IVM on social media. 
The handle is at IVM Podcasts on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. And hey, if you'd like to dive into Takshashila's research on technology, strategy and economic affairs, check us out at our Twitter handle at Takshashila INST or our website takshashila.org.in.